0: All right, well, folks, welcome back. It has been about a two-week hiatus, but Scarlet Fever is back, and there is no scripted or cutesy intro this week because we have an absolute ton to talk about. Grant Hansen and Landon worked with you. So glad to be back. Uh, Landon got sick, then I got sick, and Thanksgiving happened, and And all of a sudden... Finals are
1: coming up, and it's college. It's the
0: end of November. All of a sudden, we blinked, and... But anyway, we're back. We're back. Episode 12, Scarlet Fever. You can find Landon Wirt on Twitter, at Landon Wirt, L-A-N-D-O-N-W-I-R-T. You can find me at Hanson15, underscore Hanson. That is Hanson, with an E-N-H-A-N-S-E-N. Don't forget, this is a Daily Nebraskan podcast, so give at Daily Neb and at D-N-Sports, A follow for all your campus news from the students who live it every day. Quickly, we're not going to break away from tradition here. Best thing we saw this week before we get into probably the biggest news of the entire football season. Landon, you can go first.
1: Yeah, uh, really quick, just want to address this now, the absolute dichotomy here between myself all makeup on, full suit and tie, uh, c- coming right from a uh, on-camera anchor tape recording of broadcast 477. Um, the the outfit dynamic is fantastic here in the studio. What better way to to potentially wrap up the first semester of Scarlet Fever? But um, since we have such a packed show, I have I'm going to take this time to hop on my pedestal and share the joys of Oklahoma State football. Bedlam was absolutely electric on Saturday night. Uh, it was one of the greatest moments in my Oklahoma State sports fandom. I've been kicked in the kicked in the mouth so many times just when I thought a corner was going to be turned. Hence why I was so op or er, not optimistic, pessimistic heading into Saturday. But the atmosphere looked so cool on TV. And the way Oklahoma State was able to rally from this extreme point of adversity after the fumble return for a touchdown and the safety, I thought, well, here we go again. All this optimism is going to be washed away by the fact that OU is just this juggernaut. They always win and they're going to beat us next week and they're going to make the college football play if I'm going to hate my life. But it didn't happen somehow. Oklahoma State's defense was phenomenal in the second half. The way and just the heart and tenacity that they, they played with like they have all season, keeping Oklahoma's offense scoreless and being able to close the door when it counted on those big fourth and tens and last second plays, it was really awesome to see. It was really, really rewarding. Um, And I'm so excited for Saturday, no matter what. I, of course, am rooting for Oklahoma State to win and chaos to ensue so that we can make the college football playoff. But at any rate, the— way that they've played and the expectations we've been able to defy and it's been really fun to watch them play and seeing a defense that's so good as part of this college football defensive revolution sort of thing that we have going on with with the top teams right now Uh, it's been really awesome and Bedlam just was so cool and I'm really happy for a lot of those those guys that I've watched for a couple of years especially Spencer Sanders he kind of like a certain Nebraska or former Nebraska quarterback we're going to talk about has received a lot of flack in his time at Oklahoma State for not coming up clutch in big moments and the fact that he was able to do that at a great in front of a great crowd at PB at BPS wearing some killer uniforms was just mm. awesome to see. Bedlam was incredible. Go Oklahoma State. I can't wait to be let down on Saturday, but until then I'm very happy.
0: Yeah, just got to finish the job off against Baylor and pretty much in. Yeah, uh, at least in my opinion. But uh so there's there's your stakes there. Uh, for me, it's pretty simple actually and I I didn't actually have this one until last night, but you know, prior to the Nebraska-NC State game, the reason it started at six fifteen instead of 6 was because they ran about a 15-minute uh, special. Uh, this is the, um, the Jimmy V week uh, at ESPN, and also uh, famous college basketball broadcaster Dick Vitale uh, has cancer. He's got lymphoma, and so there was a special for him, the connection with Coach Valvano, Uh, in NC State. And, uh, you know, it's been a long time. I I think Survive in Advance is one of my favorite 30-for-30s. Great, great documentary. Um, And it has been a long time since I watched the full Jimmy V speech beginning to end. Uh, And so I did that um, prior to the Nebraska game starting on ESPNU Wednesday night. And, man, that thing, it is just as good, if not ten times better, than I remembered yeah, I mean, it is one of the best speeches of all time. So, that was, that was the best thing I saw this week. I went out of my way, basically, to draw a connection to that speech with the game and put that in, in my gamer that I wrote the other night because I, it's just the more people who can see that thing, the better. I mean, it is just one of the best speeches in, in history. Um, so, that was the best thing I saw this week. All right, well, time to get to the biggest news of the day. Maybe the football season announced earlier on Thursday. Uh, Adrian Martinez is in the transfer portal. He announced it on Twitter. After four seasons, Nebraska's leading producer at the quarterback position uh, all the time has moved on and will find himself elsewhere in the coming days next year uh, for college football 2022. So, Landon, just your initial reaction. I think a lot of us could see it coming that he wasn't going to be back with Nebraska in the next year, whether it was retirement uh, or, or a transfer, that was kind of up in the air, but the result is a transfer.
1: As soon as, you know, dating ourselves here back to Iowa week, defensive coordinator Eric Shenander said on Monday that he expected most everyone to be honored on senior day leave, whether it be professional opportunities or A potential football retirement or the transfer portal. Once Martinez was honored against Iowa prior to the Black Friday game, everyone kind of knew. Uh, It was kind of odd to me that the announcement just came in a straight tweet instead of one of those "Thank You Nebraska" videos that we saw from guys like Cam Taylor, Britt, and Austin Allen. But my biggest takeaway, I guess, I've just kind of been racking my brain a little bit. I mean. I'm a current senior at UNL. Adrian Martinez and, and Scott Frost have been the quarterback coach tandem since I've been here. And to me, it's a point that I hit on in the short brief I wrote is that his time here, Martinez, is always going to be remembered in this tricky little balance between individual success and accolades and overall team record. Because no one can deny that Adrian Martinez was one of the better quarterbacks by statistical production in the history of the Nebraska football program. I mean, he possessed this great gift, this great dual threat gift of being able to, you know, make plays longer, make throws downfield with his arm, and also just break away in the open field. And when he broke a long run, especially after evading a couple of tackles, it's just really awesome to see. But at the same time, he appeared in 39 career games as a quarterback for nebraska and the huskers won just 14 of them so it's this balance and 2021 this season was a perfect example of it he sets a career high in passing yards and sets a career high in rushing touchdowns but he also posts the second lowest completion percentage of his nebraska tenure and a career high in picks it's that balance between good and bad and you know i i can certainly commend frost and his staff for trying to make that change because Trying to roll out exactly the same thing next year, it's just not going to work. It's what you know that it tried it was what tried to happen this year and it didn't work. So I, I'm I'm rooting for for Adrian. He by all accounts seems like a really g- humble guy. He carries himself extremely well. Uh, very interested to see what decision and what direction he decides to go next. There's been a lot of talk already about Kansas State. My own personal take: I think that based on what I've seen over the last couple of years of covering him. I don't know if a Power 5 school is in his future. He was thrown a lot of expectation on him at the young age of 18 to essentially be the face of a state. Uh, And he handled that with grace um, all the way through. No one can deny that. But, I mean, there comes a point in time where that stuff can be exhausting. And going to another Power 5 school where those expectations are right back in the media's right back and all this pressure is right back, especially to Power 5 school like a Kansas State where the expectation is getting to seven, eight wins, hanging around the top 25 for a little bit, playing in a quality enough bowl game. Um, I don't know if that's what he wants. Nobody can really say what he wants. Does he want to go back home to a school like Fresno State? Does he want that pressure one more chance to maybe be a winner at the Power 5 level? For me, it's tough to see. I kind of lean towards the latter, but I mean, I guess that's that's my long-winded ramble a little bit about about Adrian Martinez, I'm, I'm wishing nothing but the best for him, like I said, and his, his career will always be looked, looked back upon with controversy. There's no denying it. I
0: think if, if I were to eulogize Adrian Martinez's time at Nebraska, um, <clears throat> I, I think one thing, one word that sticks out above every other word is class. Uh, whether it was taking pictures with younger fans, uh, heck, members of the media um, at, at different Nebraska sporting events. You know, there was not a thing that you could ask of Adrian that he, he didn't do or try to do with every, you know, with with anything within uh, his, his ability. Um, you know, it, it just you think about. I mean, anything. I, I I can't think of a single thing he did here that wasn't classy. Uh, it, it struck everybody. I think from the moment he walked on campus, his maturity, um, he, his he just the, it, you know, Landon talked about earlier that he essentially had to be the face of the state at 18 years old, and it looked like that. I mean, it, when he stepped on here on campus, it he carried that weight so incredibly well, and so that to me sticks out the most. Off the field, I, I think when you when you turn to on the field, it's something where his. Off-the-field class never totally lined up with some of the decisions made on the field, with some of the play on the field. It never lined up. And I think when you look at that, it's simply because the stars never aligned for him. I, I think so many games that he played, yes, he made... You know, there are some games that were his fault that they lost. I think you know you look at the, the Michigan game. That one was kind of on him in, in some ways this year. Right? There are games in other years that were like that. But that was, I think, the minority, really, of most of those games where there are some things that just didn't go his way. Sometimes his defense couldn't get that, the stop that he needed. Sometimes his offensive line failed him. You know, Sometimes different things happen on the outside. Special teams. But, right. And so those stars never lined up for victory on the field. It was always something different, uh, whether it was injuries that he sustained I don't know if we'll ever know the extent of the injuries he suffered in 2019 um, because there was clearly something wrong then. And we, we didn't get any of the information this year. I mean, from, you know, freaking for two weeks drinking food out of a straw um, and, and still playing for this team with a broken jaw. I mean, there's so many things that stick out where he tried his best over and over and over again on the field. And it just never lined up. and, you know, to me, that stinks in so many ways because he was so, he's such an easy, easy player to root for. And that's why I think there's a lot of Nebraska fans who look on this move with a certain level of sadness. And it's just not there for me because I, I see this decision in two ways. One, for Adrian, I'm really happy for Adrian because Adrian gets to go somewhere else and try to find success without maybe these expectations. And and so I'm really really happy for him for that because he gets a chance to go prove himself somewhere else outside of Nebraska. That's awesome. Uh and then on the flip side for Nebraska, it's time to start it was time to start the next the next chapter. He's Adrian's been here 4 years. You know, it's it's weird to think that a player who's literally been the quarterback for Nebraska for 25% of my life um uh, is moving on, but it was time, I think, from from the Nebraska side. So amicable is a good word for it. Um, I saw someone throw that word out there. I, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I don't feel the grief that I think a lot of Husker fans feel um, because I'm happy for where
1: Adrian and where he's going. Yeah, and one of the things I've just been thinking about racking my brain when you were discussing some past teams that he quarterbacked, it really is a shame that his best overall team and supporting cast that he was surrounded with was his first season in 2018. I really do think that that team was far and away the most talented that he was surrounded by at Nebraska and of course they weren't able to achieve what their ceiling probably could have been was because they had a true freshman quarterback. You can't fault them for that. 2019 and 2020 were marred with I mean he essentially had no help, little to none. Uh, this year that all changed when he got a lot of the the pieces we thought would be impactful, but because of poor performances in practice or underutilization in the games or poor decision by individual position coaches, that potential on the offense was never realized. I mean, out of the quote-unquote new guys, the only real people that had a consistent impact, it's one guy. It's Samori Torre. I mean, that's pretty much it. Oliver Martin was influential early but dipped. Same with Marquis Stepp. Those were two players throughout spring ball that we thought, okay, this is It's part of this new offensive core that's going to really get going. Austin Allen was, of course, productive, but he's been around. It's nice to see him take a, a productive step this year. But in terms of established talent on both sides of the ball and on the offensive line, 2018 was really that best team. And it's a shame that that as a whole, was unable to be replicated because you're right. I mean, no one expected Adrian Martinez to be perfect here, and perfect doesn't win college football games. I, mean, I talked about Oklahoma State earlier in the show. Spencer Sanders is far from perfect. He's a very, very flawed and imperfect quarterback. I don't like his mechanics. He's prone to turn the ball over at critical times. But what makes a successful team is having pieces around said quarterback to pick things up when situations don't go well. I'm drawing back to Oklahoma State, but against OU in their in Oklahoma State's biggest game in 10 years, what, what stepped up? Special teams, kick return, also a muffed punt, but special teams stepped up, and also the defense, shutting out Oklahoma for a half. Too often, Nebraska couldn't make the necessary plays in both of those facets to win games, and, and that's not Adrian's fault. It, that is where I sympathize with him. But you are right in that I am looking forward to seeing where he goes next. But for me, that that's where my sympathy lies.
0: And I, I think to me, I, I don't see K-State as, as a big landing spot for him. No. To me, the two most likely places uh, are UCLA, which has been talked talked about a lot. I mean, to me, I don't know if, if I was Adrian, if I'd want to go there. I mean, you're going
1: to another place with expectations. Yeah. Um, and to, to add on to UCLA, that's also a coaching situation and massive, massive limbo. I don't know. It is an option, but anyway, sorry. I, I think the
0: biggest one is Fresno. Yeah. I think going back to Fresno State, literally going home uh, in California is something that I think I could really, really see. Uh, you know, I, I don't see him transferring somewhere in conference, um. There's not a whole lot of spots, I think, in conference that would be very suitable for him. So, uh, I think, you know, you're right. It's probably a group of five or somewhere on the West Coast that I think he ends up at. I I don't know if I really see him going to Kansas State.
1: The Kansas State thing is what's being floated out right now. It's because of... Cade Warner, his former roommate uh, and former Nebraska team captain, that seems like forever ago, but he's there. Uh, He's kicking it there. Um, And also his girlfriend plays soccer there. That's what the main Kansas State poll is. It's really difficult for me to see. UCLA is also interesting because it also kind of has a quarterback decision to make with Dorian Thompson-Robinson, whether or not uh, they want him to come back for a fifth year so. Yeah, I'm just not really sure. Right now, what I'm doing is is scrolling back through Martinez's old Twitter to see if I can find old offers. But um, without seeing any of those just quite yet, I think that Fresno State does make a lot of sense. They just lost their coach. They just lost their quarterback, Jake Hayner, who might be following his coach back to Washington. But... um, That would be a place where there's a decent amount of structure there. Fresno State's a winning program. Uh, He'll have the opportunity to compete in the Mountain West for sure. Mountain West is a pretty fluid. um, Always, uh, you know, it's pretty inconsistent, especially as you look towards next year with certain really good quarterbacks leaving. Uh, It could be a little wide open, and it could be a good opportunity for him for sure. Um, So I really think that Fresno State seems like a seems like a good option for him for sure. What do
0: you? So if you think back over the course of Scott Frost's career in Nebraska, uh, probably his two most lauded recruits, Adrian Martinez, Wandale Robinson. Neither of them finished their careers in Nebraska. Uh, is, is that a direct reflection on Frost? Uh, is it just sad <laughs> in general? Uh, where where does that come down for you? <sighs>
1: I mean, it's hard to not make it a reflection of the coaching staff as much as I don't want it to be. It's sad because it's clear that there's wasted potential. I mean, just look at how successful Kentucky's been, and Wandale Robinson has been a massive part in getting Kentucky to where it is, and they're having just a renaissance season with Mark Stoops in, Le- in Lexington right now. Um, and then you know, I'm sure I'm almost sure of it that Adrian's gonna go off wherever he ends up next and be relatively successful. And that has to come down on the coaching staff and the offensive coaches for not being able to unlock that full potential for whatever reason. I mean, with Wandale, it's pretty easy to see what went wrong you know with the rose, with the hindsight glasses on, right? He was he never should have been touching the balls running back at running back as much as he should have been. And at Kentucky, I mean, they did some of this in Nebraska, but they're getting him downfield a lot more. They're getting him in open space a lot more. I mean, it's, it's just it's, – it is pretty sad in the, in the sense that it's wasted talent, and that has to be a reflection of, I mean, Nebraska's offensive coaches, who are now pretty much all fired except for Frost. So there we go. I mean, if it's time to start tapping into that talent base that you have or will bring in – Hypothetically, it should be now, right, if you're bringing in some of these new coaches. But.
0: Uh, so as you look at where Nebraska sits now, quarterback room features Logan Smothers, Heimner-Karberg. Uh, you know, outside of that, there's not a lot there. You have to bring somebody in from the transfer portal, right? But that's something Nebraska
1: hasn't done yet at the quarterback position. They have to. I mean, their quarterback room features a whole lot of nothing. I don't know how much we're going to talk about Iowa, but Logan Smothers, for what he was asked to do in the situation he was put in, played very admirably. He is not a Big dead quarterback yet, um, and that won't even develop over a spring. Heinrich Harburg has seen zero collegiate snaps. None of those guys are going to magically become a starting quarterback. Nebraska's got to hit the portal. There's no other way around it. It's time to stop being cute and start attacking this thing. There are, for the record, plenty of available quarterbacks in order for Nebraska to accomplish said goal of hitting the portal. Um, Dylan Gabriel was one that was immediately linked early on. He's gotten 100% 24-7 crystal ball to, to Ole Miss. Uh, Spencer Rattler's the big name. Uh, I'm not really sure um, if Nebraska's going to touch him or who will, uh, but that's certainly a, a tantalizing option for I mean, it's it's something you have to consider as if you're on Nebraska staff. Culture differences aside, uh, more intriguing options that I have found further down the line are a Miles Brennan from LSU, a Harrison Bailey uh, from Tennessee, or Jacob Zeno from Baylor. Um, but no matter who it is, you have to go get someone that's established himself at the collegiate level because what Nebraska currently has. No offense is just not going to work next year. It, it's not. You can't roll any of those guys out there next season. You just can't do it. Left Matt Masker uh, out of that list
0: as well. Uh, so don't don't want to leave him out totally. Uh, but that is the biggest news of the day as we record this on Thursday, December second. Adrian Martinez is in the transfer portal. His fifth year of eligibility will be spent elsewhere. Uh, Other than Lincoln, Nebraska, is it on the West Coast, or is it just down the road in Manhattan, Kansas? Uh, That kind of remains to be seen. Maybe it's somewhere uh, else entirely uh, from that list, but the stalwart classy senior is moving on, and Scott Frost is going to have to find somebody else to manage this offense in the future. Coming up next, we'll discuss coaching changes for Nebraska. It has been all quiet on the western front really this whole week with the exception of the adrian martinez news that broke today is that surprising and where could nebraska go for those coaching hires we'll discuss next you're listening to scarlet fever Talk some coaches here we'll begin with Nebraska and then take a broader look at the national level at some of the ginormous shifts in the college football landscape and let's start with Nebraska Landon honestly not a lot of hires and th- this kind of blows me away a little bit because I think in many ways a lot of us thought that we would see some of those hires take place on Monday uh, or Tuesday earlier in the week and we thought, hey, maybe these coaching positions on the offensive side would be filled. No dice. In fact, the only news is the Adrian Martinez news for Nebraska this week.
1: Yeah, the longer things go, the more and more uneasy I'm beginning to feel as to maybe there wasn't necessarily a plan when this thing was started. I mean, there were two reasons why Nebraska decided to let go of the four assistant coaches when they did. First part of it was recruiting. You don't want to go out there and recruit with coaches that aren't going to be there. The second part of it is to get a head start ahead of some of these other programs going into the offseason. Now we're sitting here recording this on December 2nd. Things have been all quiet, all too quiet. I mean, the only name that we've heard circulating is Mickey Joseph coming in as what, a recruiting coordinator and wide receivers coach. And even that's looking more unlikely now as we see photos of him with LSU recruits. Going on in home visits and the like. So it really is kind of mind boggling to me that there has just been absolutely nothing happening with regards to Nebraska's coaching search, and it's something that needs to really start getting filled because you want to have an offseason or close to a full off season By the time second semester rolls around and spring ball starts to start, you want to have all of these coaches in place, comfortable, and settled. By the time you roll into, if you're Scott Frost and Trev Alberts, a huge offseason, one of the biggest, it's the biggest in Frost's tenure, and a huge decision in, in Alberts' tenure. It, you know, will this... Decision to take a leap of faith with Frost be rewarded. They have to get this settled ASAP within the next couple of weeks, don't you think? I mean, if there isn't a higher or two made by the time we leave for Christmas break around the 13th or 14th of December, it might be time to start pushing the panic button a little bit, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think
0: so. So my thing is this: I, I, if if so, you talked during the break. You're, you're saying coastal. Coastal's is bull bound. So if they're going to raid the Coastal Carolina coaching staff, then that raid will not take place until the bowl game in all likelihood. Now, there's no conference championship this week for Coastal, and they're 10-2, and but I-, I don't think they make that move until then. The Mickey Joseph stuff is interesting because, again, weirdly enough, that is like literally the only name that has been tossed around this week. I think, you know, and we'll talk a little bit later about Brian Kelly and and Lincoln Riley, but I think Brian Kelly would like to have Joseph as an asset. I mean, he is an incredible recruiter. And so, you know, to see him still on the trail for LSU probably says a lot uh, about where things are at on that front. That's a miss for Nebraska because this is a guy who developed Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. Into uh, fantastic NFL receivers. And again, what has been missing a lot for Nebraska? Development, yeah. right? So, you know, Ryan Held was a really, really good recruiter for this staff, the running backs coach, but he couldn't develop, right? Uh, and there was development issues across the board. Ryan Held is just an example because he was a very, very good recruiter, but he couldn't develop at all. And so with Joseph, you have a guy who can do both uh, in, in many ways. And so missing out on him and of course there is no certain uh anything at that point on 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 that front that's kind of up in the air there's been people who said back in november it was practically a done deal that joseph would come to nebraska Uh, but as time has gone on there's obviously been some things that have really really changed uh on the board there for college football as a whole and for these coaches as a whole throughout the entirety of college sports
1: yeah and it would be a big miss, but I can imagine that Brian Kelly really wants to keep Mickey Joseph right. around just because it would be all the more helpful. Coastal Carolina is, is an interesting program, and I really, really do think it's worth Nebraska trying to pick their staff a little bit. Their head coach, Jamie Chadwell, um, has been a hot-button name for a potential coaching hire Uh, at one of these openings, but as we kind of progress further into December, that is also something that's looking more unlikely. Uh, Offensive coordinator Willie Korn uh, of Coastal, in addition to Mickey Joseph, has been really the only other name circulating, not nearly as um, widely spread as as Mickey Joseph, but it's, it's been a name circulating on Nebraska Twitter and the like. I would just like to make a plea here that I think it would be a really good fit, and here's why frost talked a lot about wanting new offensive ideas on his staff and coastal runs one of the most unique offenses in college football their quarterback grayson mccall led college leads currently college football and adjusted yards per pass attempt and yards per pass attempt coastal um by by pure offense is ranked seventh nationally in the country and was uh also one of the more It's been one of the more efficient offenses the last couple of years. McCall has the thing humming. I think that it would be really worth bringing someone onto staff that runs an offense like that. Coastal, what they do I think would fit Nebraska really well, the way they use tight ends, uh, almost as t- sort of an H-back thing to what Oklahoma does. Um, I think it would be worth poaching some ideas because I think that's a program with a lot of them, and Nebraska is a school in need of them. Uh, other than that though, the lack of, of names and progress is really concerning. I mean, we don't know when Coastal's bowl game is going to be, it's probably going to be sometime in earlier December now that they kind of have had a disappointing end to their season and have bottomed out a tad. I mean, 10 and two is still 10 and two, but based on where they were earlier in the season with the chance to play in a new year's six bowl game, playing in the Shreveport bowl or whatever they'll be in come Sunday is is, is gotta be disappointing. Um but yeah, I mean the fact that we're all quiet here on this front is not good, uh here on December second. Not good. Yeah, it, it is kind of surprising. <clears throat> but um,
0: you know, we'll we'll see where this thing goes in the future. I know Areola was thrown out there as an offensive line coach. Um so that that there is some uh some potential there maybe, but again that was there was some talk about that earlier in the week and nothing's really materialized. Um you know, it's interesting to me because it's hard for me... I, I think... I don't know if we both can agree with this. I, I, I think it's pretty obvious just on stuff that I've seen face-to-face, um, things that are public and things that I've heard in private. Scott's a prideful person. Like, would you agree with that? Scott yeah. Frost is prideful. Yeah.
1: That's that's a take that I, I can get
0: behind. So, I, I think on... When you're winning, that's fine. I think it helps you when you're winning. But when you're losing especially like Nebraska has, it can start to kind of snowball in the wrong direction, right? Where things just, you just kind of end up bringing out the worst in someone as time goes on. So I, I think when you look at this, it's hard for me to square some of the things that I've gone on with some of the stuff that that is both public and private about Frost, where I think, man, I really wonder how much of that decision was his, the the original decision to fire those four offensive coaches. Uh, I think we'll find out based on the people that he hires, in my opinion. If he hires people who are um, quote-unquote alphas, right, people who are going to be aggressive personalities that could challenge Scott a little bit that could that could push him as a person then I think yeah maybe that maybe that wasn't a part of Trev's pressure maybe that was Scott's full idea but if it's people who are just going to sit under him and kind of be very very conservative and quiet um, then I don't then I I will continue to have those wonderings I think we'll find
1: out shortly though uh, what the answer to that quandary is. I really, really hope that we don't have a bunch of yes men on our hands. Um, based on what he said about like really wanting to be challenged and have new ideas, I really, really hope that he um, can put that aside a little bit and really just welcome people that are going to come from different offensive philosophies and have different offensive ideas. I mean, come on. Because it's clear what's currently happening right now that he's leading is not working. So I would hope that he and Trev and anybody else involved in this decision-making process are able to put that aside a little bit and welcome someone that's going to challenge them. Nebraska football as currently constructed, needs to be challenged by somebody within the program. Uh, Because what's currently happening and what currently happened this year, like, moving forward, just aren't acceptable. I mean, I can't speak on it too much of the heyday because I'm 21 years old. But, I mean, even I remember Nebraska's younger Big 10 or Big 12 days and early Big 10 days when – you know, 8, nine, ten wins, going, winning your division, going to the championship game. It's an expectation. The Big Ten West is a good division, but it's certainly not filled with world beaters. I mean, Iowa and Wisconsin are pretty easy to figure out year in and year out. Northwestern's always wildly inconsistent. And Purdue and Illinois are Purdue and Illinois. Like, that is a division that Nebraska... It's always up for grabs. Right. And the fact that Nebraska wasn't in it this year... Like, in a year where Iowa started hot and really struggled, where Wisconsin lost three games, if you would have told me before the season started that Iowa would have two losses and Wisconsin would have three losses and Northwestern would be really bad, those three things you would have told me, I would have been like, okay, Nebraska's in the thick of things then, surely. Like, they have to figure out how to be competitive in the Big Ten West, like, it's... Everyone involved in a leader, leadership position currently on the, in, within the Nebraska football pro- program needs to set beliefs aside because of that. Because what you have accomplished currently when your ideas were the main ideas didn't work. It just didn't. So they need to bring in someone who's going to challenge what's currently the, the current status quo.
0: And everything Scott has said outside in public says that that's what he wants to do. And then there's the, the it is just, there, there are two, two things. I hope it's the former. Uh, you know, as someone who covers the team, I hope it's the former. Um, and for Scott's sake, I hope it's the former. We're going to find out. Uh, so that basically wraps the Nebraska discussion, the coaching decisions on the local level. Let's take things at a national stage, and it, it is nearly a week old now. Uh, but if you remember back to Saturday night during the Bedlam game, rumors start swirling that Lincoln Riley to LSU will happen if Oklahoma loses that game. They did. There was no announcement. Lincoln Riley says in postgame press conferences for Oklahoma, I will not be the next head coach at LSU. He was right. He was the next head coach at USC. That was announced Sunday afternoon. Uh, really craftily worded response. And then just a short 24 hours later, Brian Kelly announces he's leaving Notre Dame for LSU. I, d- I don't know if, you know, if you think about the last week in college athletics, just period, the last week, it is probably one of the craziest and best weeks that I think we've had in a long time. Like, when Duke-Gonzaga is, like, maybe the fifth coolest thing that happened that week in terms of college athletics, and then you also have that wild the college basketball game between UCLA and Auburn that happened earlier in the week, and that's, like, 15th. I mean, you know you had a heck of a week, and the Lincoln-Riley and Brian Kelly news was the top of that list for me.
1: Uh, yeah, as as... From an Oklahoma State perspective, it's very, very hilarious to me to watch Oklahoma's world burn. But the, the, the Lincoln-Riley thing is just so fascinating to me because I'm not sure how many people caught this late on a Monday night, but Lincoln-Riley did come on Scott Van Pelt's show. And I was sitting there watching it with my roommates after doing some homework and, and wrapping up Monday Night Football, and his story just didn't make sense for how the USC thing came to be. He's Putting out this aura in this story that it came together in four hours and said a couple of different times when it was originally, he originally contacted USC, whether it was late Saturday night, early Sunday morning. His story changed multiple times. It really is difficult to hear him say that and then to see all the California talent he recruited to come to Oklahoma and not put connections together there. There are so many underlying and fascinating storylines that go into it. And I'm not going to be the conspiracy theorist here and say that Lincoln Riley recruited for USC on Oklahoma's dime. Um, But it really is very coincidental, I guess, that it just came together magically that quickly and he hadn't had any contact with USC before then and it came together whenever he said it did in just a couple of hours and he had all these California recruits. Like, interesting set of, of dots that were just magically connected when he went to USC. That's interesting to me. And then the whole Brian Kelly thing, I just don't think it makes sense. I don't get... First of all, I do not get... I know it's Brian Kelly's M.O. Because, I mean, after doing some digging, he left Cincinnati pretty much in the same way before the Sugar Bowl in 05 or 06. They were undefeated. Uh, Did the same thing with Central Michigan. And now he's doing the same thing with Notre Dame, leaving a team that still very, very realistically can make the college football playoff if a certain set of dominoes fall. Um... I don't really see how he's going to fit in LSU, and he really needs to keep the guys around him like Mickey Joseph that will help him tap into that culture immediately, that know the recruiting trail well, know what what spots they need to hit because – I don't know if Brian Kelly knows knows Jack about the South or the SEC. Um, so it's a re- weird fit. But the overarching thing is it's funny because once Clay Helton was fired after what, whatever it was, six games, and once they announced Coach O wasn't coming back at LSU a couple days later, everyone's like, oh, my God, like, these two big high-profile blue bloods, USC and LSU, both open at the same time. Like, how crazy that two national football coaching brands are open. Then, like, A month later, it's, wow, Oklahoma and Notre Dame are both open. Two crazy national college football bluebloods. So just what a wild and bizarre week. Um, Just nuts. The the carousel is just crazy. And last thing I'll say, good to see Notre Dame hire Marcus Freeman. I think that's a guy that they really, really, based on the initial discussion and from my Notre Dame peeps I follow on Twitter and everything else. They wanted Freeman. Uh, it's clear that the the university and the staff has a lot of respect for Marcus Freeman, um, and I think that that's going to be a great fit, and I'm rooting for his potential success but he is, because he is a heck of a coordinator, and I'm looking forward to see what he can accomplish in Notre Dame in the future.
0: Yeah, the players really wanted Freeman too, Yeah, uh, and so I, I share most of your opinions, I think, on that front. Um. Yeah. Now the question happens. You know, Bob Stoops probably not the long time option for Oklahoma. Uh, I'm kind of surprised, but not surprised that Stoops oh, immediately Stoops. fills in there. Uh, disappointed. That's the
1: weirdest part about all of that that nobody is going to talk about. Bob Stoops is hosting Big Noon Kickoff, and all. Is he this- going to
0: do it this weekend?
1: Yes, he is. He's really? still going to be on Big Noon. He's going to ma- manage his responsibilities to Fox while he is the coach of OU and prepares them for, like, the Alamo Bowl or whatever. Nothing will bring me more joy than if Oklahoma State makes the playoff and and angry Bob Stoops is just marauding the sidelines against, like, Utah and the Alamo Bowl. That will bring me great joy, or Oregon.
0: Yeah, uh, we, well, I, I like Bob Stoops. I actually like him a little bit more on that desk than Urban Meyer. He's more of a homer. Uh, I think, than Meyer is. But he's also a lot more entertaining. <laughs> so, um, yeah, th- that one's really interesting to me. Uh, I was crazy to how quickly he filled in to, you know, to take that role. I-, I don't buy one bit of, of Lincoln Riley's story that it happened overnight. Uh, Lincoln Riley's a smart guy, and I can tell you this. Smart people don't make decisions in the span of 12 hours to move their entire family from Oklahoma to Los Angeles, it just doesn't happen that way. There is calculation, there is premeditation, there is a lot of thought that goes into a decision like this. It does not happen in twelve hours, and so I, 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 I don't think there was some secret plan to recruit people on a bunch of people on the West Coast and then go to USC. I don't, I don't buy that. Um, but I do like there's no part of me that believes that it actually took him four hours to decide to do this. I think one thing that also kind of got very interesting was there was a lot of discussion about uh, the players and the recruits that came up. And that, that was another interesting secondary debate where it was like, man, I really feel bad for the players. Or I feel really bad for the guys that Riley recruited. And to me, no, there is no way that you can, you know, uh, delegitimize... The short-term pain, I think, that most of those people are going through. But to me, it, it is a very, very small-scale thing. I, I, I think in a lot of ways, the people who are talking about that the most are people who have dogs in the fight and who are disappointed that ex-coach left their program that they cover, in quotes, uh, or root for. Uh, sometimes those lines get crossed. But... Uh, I, I, think, I think that happens in that situation more often than not. I don't know if that was very legitimate. Uh, and again, the reason is because those players are all very, very talented people who are, are going to find a really good spot in the transfer portal, either continue to stay at Oklahoma or follow Lincoln Riley to USC, or they'll get picked up by somebody else a very powerful SEC program, there, there's not a lot of people who are going to be left out in the cold. Yes, there's going to be some short-term feelings of distrust and betrayal, but in the long run, those people are going to end up being just fine.
1: Yeah, I agree. The, the funniest thing has been to see... <laughs> All the Oklahoma fans just melt down on Twitter, like calling for a federal investigation of Lincoln Riley just because he left Oklahoma. Uh, their tears have been delicious and quite plentiful over the last <laughs> couple of days. I won't lie, um, but yeah, you are right. I mean, these Oklahoma is not like Akron. All of these guys are going to find a home somewhere at a very good program at the Division One level. The, the exodus has begun, but I mean, and. It might take Oklahoma a year to rebuild some things, uh, but they'll be just fine. It, it pains me to say it, but programs like Oklahoma, uh, they've got a great brain trust in place with Castiglione as the AD uh, who hired Stoops, and Stoops, I'm sure, will be involved in the decision-making process, or it might just be him. Uh, Oklahoma will be back. Uh, but it is funny to see this happen out of them. Yeah, it's pretty
0: ironic, honestly. Signs of traitor, you know, showing up on Oklahoma's campus. Uh, or I think probably the most impressive one was the quote from the uh, athletic director saying, we would have liked more notice. Yeah. Uh, especially considering everything that Oklahoma did to the Big 12 uh, <laughs> earlier in the season. <laughs> it was incredibly yeah. ironic. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the Big 12 really couldn't be in better shape. They literally picked up the best five non-conference or power five group of five teams to join the conference. Texas seems like a dead duck, and Oklahoma is going to be going to the SEC with a new coach that isn't named Lincoln Riley. And I mean, if you're the Big 12, these last five or so months could not have gone better.
1: There are two Big 12 championships happening on Saturday. People are not talking about this enough. Oklahoma State, Baylor at 11, and then Cincinnati and Houston at 3. There are two Big 12 championship games happening, which is awesome, and like... If the new Big 12 gets two teams in the CFP and both Oklahoma and Texas and Alabama are left out, oh, it would be rich. It would be very, very happy for my soul. So that's what I'm rooting for. Um, That would be very fun. Well, there was a basketball game last night. We'll talk about that coming
0: up next. Nebraska and NC State, the Huskers fall 104 to 104 overtimes. And then after that, we'll wrap the show up. With our big, or rather, our conference champion picks. That's all coming up on Scarlet Fever. All right, folks, welcome back to Scarlet Fever. Grant Hanson and Landon work It's time to talk Nebraska football. Huskers fall 104 to 100 in four overtime's to North Carolina State, the Wolfpack. That is the second four overtime game in Nebraska basketball history the first came in 1979 against UAB uh, also would like to mention the Nebraska women's team is now 8 and 0 after a nice defeat of Wake Forest on the Wagon. road uh, they should be ranked soon sooner than later uh, but man they are on a roll right now too so they, it it was not all lost last night in fact the women won it first yeah no <laughs>
1: A lot of things happened before the men's game, man.
0: I, <laughs> I, I, was, I made
1: an, an off-the-cuff comment to you while we were on break, but I will say this again. For all of the stuff that happened over the last week of, of college athletics, especially Nebraska athletics, for a quadruple overtime basketball game not to lead us off, something crazy had to have happened. Oh, man, what a, what a game. I don't really know how to describe what took place at PNC Arena. Uh, it was nuts for sure. Really disappointing that Nebraska wasn't able to come away with it, but silver, silver lining, aside from all of the other craziness that happened, is that it was better fight, it was better battle, and it was better execution than Nebraska's first non-conference test against Creighton, or Power Six non-conference test. Let me clarify myself. Um, So on that front, I think there's a lot to be positive about. On the other side... Um, my first takeaway from last night was that Nebraska should have won the game hours ago, literally hours ago. Um, there is the missed foul call on Alonzo Verge as regular as time expired. Uh, obviously looked to be a foul, but even before then, Nebraska should have had NC State dead to rights up 14 with nine minutes left. I mean to then allow an immediate 14-0 run after you go up 61-47 with nine minutes left, which, by the way, is something we've seen from them all year, but it's been earlier in games, not in the second half, um, was a really, really discouraging sign, a 14-0 run that was capped with um, the Jericho Helms three and fiasco that ensued from Latmai and throwing a shoulder in him afterwards. Um, And then in double overtime... It's old, old friend free throw coming back to bite Nebraska with Bryce McGowan's not being able to finish the second of two um, in a foul that, should Nebraska have won, would have been an all-time boneheaded mistake by North Carolina State, fouling up one 70 feet from the basket uh, <laughs> with two seconds left. Just an idiotic foul to commit, a uh, shocking lack of basketball IQ. Um, but Nebraska wasn't able to make NC State capitalize on that mistake, and then as things progressed and Darian Sebrin continued to take over the game, things just continued to look worse and worse, and then the floodgates kind of broke in the fourth overtime. Verge ended up, Alonzo Verge, who had a great game, ended up fouling out, and the, the story kind of wrote itself. But Nebraska really should have won that game, either in regulation or earlier in the overtimes
0: yeah I totally agree. I think there was a lot made of the officiating and and that certainly was a disparity. That was certainly a uh, a whole story in and of itself this this chaos from that officiating crew from start to finish. but even despite that, Nebraska had several opportunities to win that thing um, in in the last four overtime periods alone um, so that 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 was a big thing I think. That stuck out to me, even even in defeat. I mean, how how about that scrum though? I mean, that that was something else. I don't know if I've seen something like that uh, in a while. You had you had uh, Trey McGowan scooting over there on on his scooter. Yeah. Uh, that was something that was wild. And then poor Oleg. Oleg got ejected. I mean, I mean, okay, Eduardo, Andre. Came like sprinting over. Yeah, there he the got bench. himself
1: involved right in the fiasco immediately.
0: He did. Yeah. Well, I mean, he had a really nice. I think. I think Michael Severe pointed this out on Twitter, but uh, Nebraska should give him a look for the I mean like the lean off the edge, the sprint he had, and the the he lowered the shoulder. And uh, used that momentum to curve himself around the, uh, I think, I don't know who it was. It was someone on the Nebraska staff that was trying to stop him from getting in there. But he got past him and immediately got in there. So I I could see why Andre was ejected. I could see why Mayan was ejected.
1: Oleg, though, like, what did poor Oleg do? I know. That's like the first time when I was mentioning him in my postgame takeaways. I think that might have been the first time I've mentioned his name this season. I think it was just kind of a wrong place, wrong time thing. Uh, The precedent for this, as I I shared last night on Twitter, was back in 2018, Colin Sexton in Alabama, uh, when they played Minnesota in a preseason November tournament at the Barclays Center, a similar sort of thing happened uh, after the bucket scrum occurred. Everyone that left the bench got tossed, pretty much, Um, and since the incident occurred right in front of Alabama's bench, uh, it resulted in pretty much everyone on Alabama's bench getting ejected, except for the five on the floor, which... Ended in a game that went to overtime uh, with them playing five on three. Funny stuff. Um, That's the precedent, but I think it really just was a a wrong time, wrong place for, for, for Ole. Um, but fortunately there weren't as many ejections as I feared and it didn't end up harming Nebraska too much in the long run with that.
0: Yeah. It didn't really have a big, d- big effect on it. Uh, I, the amount of times that Kobe Webster was declared ejected while he was literally on the floor, uh, blew my mind. Like it just kept happening as the overtimes continued. It seemed like he got mentioned more and more as being ejected when he was clearly not, uh, by the, uh, by the announcers, the ESPN, you guys, um, yeah, that was that was that that part was certainly rough, um, but it, as I mentioned in my gamer, this whole this whole game was like this comedy of errors that was its own brand of weird and entertaining. That you know, it it wasn't like March Madness. It wasn't like any of the you know the Power Five incredible or Power Six incredible matchups that we saw uh, earlier this season or in seasons past. But it was an all timer for this season, but for the weirdest reasons.
1: Yeah, um, for two teams that have been predicated on taking care of the ball and entered the game as some of the best in college basketball when it came to, you know, not turning the ball over a ton, Combining for 38 turnovers is, is extremely shocking. I know an extra half with basketball was played essentially on top of all of this, but to force North Carolina State, who's a team that averages just under 10 turnovers a game to 20, has got to be a, a massive win for Nebraska's defense. Uh, on that same front, though, Nebraska turning the ball over 18 times is no bueno. Uh, that will not fly. Yes. Um, 11 e- of those are in the first half. Yeah, so even in the fact that Nebraska was able to overcome that, horrible start uh, in facing NC State's 94 foot pressure uh, and hold a halftime lead was something remarkable in and of itself. But yeah, uh, that was one of the more surprising things and really just hit on the the comedy of errors. The three-point shooting was also just hilariously pathetic. NC State made just six of 34 three-pointers for uh, a sparkling 17.6%. Both teams in the overtime shot the ball really badly. Uh, Nebraska was 33% from the field. NC State was 32%. Both teams combined to shoot three of 24 from three-point range. Um, So, and then of course we have the first overtime with neither team scoring for the first four minutes. It was, it was, it was a a true game for the sickos um, that just love bad basketball that um, was also good basketball but also bad basketball. It was pretty hilarious objectively. Um, so, but ultimately a, a poor result in a game that Nebraska really should have won and it might look back upon as the season uh, you know progresses. Where does Nebraska go from here? Now you, you drop this game to to NC
0: State and now you got to go on the road again to Indiana on Saturday.
1: Well, one thing I was gonna mention when we were talking about the the fracas, is we have yet to hear, I believe, at the time of this recording, if there are any further um, you know, implications or suspensions stemming from the incident. Uh, Ole, and Ole will probably not be faulted here, but I could very realistically see a world in which Eduardo Andre and Lat Mayan face further suspension from mm. the Big Ten because of their roles in that scrum, uh, specifically LAT. I wouldn't be surprised to see, uh, you know, a suspension of a game or two handed out for it because it was pretty unnecessary and very blatant, and I agreed with the call uh, on the floor to eject him by our good friends TV Teddy and crew. Um, So that is something that could play an interesting role in the way this game shakes out, especially because, I mean... Alonzo Verge and Bryce McGowans both topped 55 minutes against NC State. Derek Walker played 50 minutes. Casey Tomonaga played 43 minutes. C.J. Wilcher was close to 40 minutes played. Nebraska had a lot of guys get a lot of run. And in a game in which you need that rotation to be there, especially after coming off of such a long, arduous, hard-fought game, Potentially not having guys like Lat Mayan and Eduardo Andre will be a huge disservice, especially against an Indiana team that is very physical and very big. Now, Indiana is also coming off of a double overtime game, uh, but they do have an extra day of rest, and they will be at home, which is a big added benefit for them. Nebraska will not. Uh, So things are kind of bleak right now entering this game. Indiana's very good. Trace Jackson Davis continues. He's playing remarkable basketball uh, at this point in the year. The Hoosiers are big, physical, have proven very difficult for Nebraska to beat in past seasons. Um, So, yeah, that combined with Nebraska's road record under Hoiberg, which is one and every (laughs) other game that they've played on the road, um, not much confidence is being inspired uh, ahead of a Saturday morning tilt at Assembly Hall great arena by the way for basketball
0: yeah so let's look at the women here wake they take down wake forest 30 no i mean they have been on an absolute tear jazz shelley was electric per usual uh they score points in bunches they are really really fun to watch and again amy williams group is having probably one of their best starts to the season under amy williams
1: Yeah, they're really good, and they're really deep. I mean, we have talked about the men's basketball team's depth. We haven't really seen it materialize a ton yet, but man, Amy Williams' team is deep. They can very easily—they go 10 deep plus a night, uh, it seems, and they have a host of great players. I mean, when you've got someone like Alexis Markowski coming off your bench, your team is good and deep. Uh, I'm really looking forward to see how they um, shape up against the Big Ten, but— to me, at least, it's pretty clear that they're going to be a team that finishes in the top half of the conference easily and will be a team fighting for an NCAA tournament place. It's really, really encouraging to see them take that step from appearing in the women's NIT last year, giving some of the top teams in the conference a run, uh, to this year when they're making strides for an NCAA tournament berth. It's, it's, it's cool to see. They are awesome to watch.
0: Yeah, I, I think when you look at this team, the thing that sticks out the most to me is depth. You have three really, really solid post players. Cravens, Bourne, you have Murkowski off the bench, uh, and then you have a wealth of guards and shooting options. Uh, you know, This team a year ago was more than capable of challenging the best teams in the Big Ten like Maryland uh, and, and beating some of them. And so now this year they have to just, again, take care of business against the teams that are worse than them, which they have done this year, and continue to play up against the teams that on paper are quote-unquote better than them. And, and so the, the signs point to that early on. Uh, we'll see if they end up getting ranked uh, as we go into conference play. They start with Minnesota next week.
1: Yeah, uh, I think they should be. They have definitely have the, the resume to prove it. You know, you win that holiday tournament, which was kind of weak, but then you also back that up with big wins uh, in the non-conference. That win over Wake Forest on the road is just huge, and to do it by such a convincing margin, they definitely need to be ranked come whenever the rankings come out. Monday for basketball? Probably Monday. Yeah, Monday. I think Monday. They should be ranked when they play Minnesota on Monday.
0: Well, alright, that'll do it for our basketball talk. We'll wrap up the show with our conference championship picks in college football. It's coming up next on Scarlet TV. All right, folks. Welcome back. Kind of a longer episode, but we've been off for two weeks. Rapid fire. We're doing our conference championship picks to wrap up Scarlet Fever uh, episode. I think it's twelve. I think it's twelve. This will probably is this our last episode before break? Yeah, it is our last episode before break. So, all right. Well, without further ado, we will be picking the top uh, your Power Five conference championships. We'll also throw the American in there. Uh, because of Cincinnati, we'll begin with Friday, December 3rd, Oregon and Utah. Utah, a two-and-a-half point favorite.
1: Yeah, I like the Utes here. I think that Utah's the better team. They're playing better football at this point in the season. I've been kind of bullish, or bearish, bullish, I don't know, uh, not very high on Oregon uh, this year, and to see them crashing down to earth is probably where their preseason expectations or during the season expectations should have been. Uh, I like Utah here. I think that they'll cover that number and win by three or more.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think Utah is going to win this one. It's tough to beat a team twice, but I, I, I don't know if Utah has that much trouble against Oregon the second time. No, I don't think they're going to embarrass them like they did the first time, but I think Utah ends up pulling this one out. All right, Saturday, December 4th, 11 a.m., Big 12 championship game, Oklahoma State and Baylor could be for a college football playoff spot for Oklahoma State and the Cowboys are favored by five and a half.
1: I mean, I hope we win. I don't really want to take a hack at the spread, but if I would have to guess, I would think that maybe our defense dominates again and we win by 10. Uh, Baylor's got a lot of uncertainty at the quarterback position right now. I think that Jerry Bohannon is going to give it a go, uh, but I think Oklahoma State's defense, as shown in the first game, has the potential to make Baylor's knife night uh, very, very difficult, So or, or morning, because it's going to be a morning game. Right. Uh, I'm going to lean Oklahoma State 28-17 uh, so, yeah, I'll just go 28 Oklahoma State. I think uh, Oklahoma don't.
0: State wins it, too. I, it's a tough decision for me. I like the defense a lot better for Oklahoma State. Spencer Sanders is kind of a question mark sometimes. The turnovers happen at bad points in games. Uh, but I think the Cowboys get it done. And with some help, we'll be making their return, or rather their first
1: Uh, The first time. First appearance in the college football playoff.
0: All right, 3 o'clock, CBS SEC Championship game, Georgia Alabama. Georgia a a 6.5 point favorite.
1: It always scares me to see Nick Saban's team as an underdog because it happens so rarely, but based on what we've seen from Saban this season, I think he's kind of just happy to be at this point. Georgia's good. They're their defense is remarkable. Alabama struggles against Auburn should be a sign a harbinger of doom. I think that Georgia dominates here and wins by a couple scores. I'll go Georgia by fourteen. I will go the Dogs thirty-one and Alabama seventeen.
0: I gotta agree with that one. I think Georgia wins, but I think they win by a good clip. Nobody's been close to Georgia at the beginning of the year. Yes, they're kind of exercising some demons a little bit uh, taking on Alabama, uh, but. I, I don't know. This one's tough. I think Georgia wins convincingly uh, by the time those things all said and done. <clears throat> somewhere between 10 and 17 points. Uh, another ranked matchup, 3 o'clock. It's the American uh, Conference Championship game with two future Big 12 teams, Cincinnati and Houston. Houston 11-1. and 1, Cincinnati is 12-0. and 0, And the Bearcats are 10.5-point favorites.
1: Yeah, uh, my boy, Dana Holgerson, former OSU Offensive Coordinator, has done great things with Houston this year. I think Houston's the best team. Uh, Cincinnati's played second-best team, I should say, Notre Dame. Um, going at Nippert, it's going to be really hard for Houston to pull out a victory, but I do think that Houston can keep this game within a score or so. I'll say the Bearcats by eight here. I think Houston covers that number. Um, so I will go 30-22 to 22 Cincinnati. Yeah, this one makes me a little bit
0: nervous if I was a Bearcat fan. I, I just I don't know if Cincinnati can get the job done. I think they do, uh, but this one is probably the biggest upset watch game, I think, Uh, of the week um, for your conference championship game. 7 o'clock, ABC at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's the ACC championship game. No Miami, no Clemson. It is Pitt. And Wake Forest, number fifteen and number sixteen. Pitt is a three-point favorite.
1: Yeah, weird to see how weird to see this one like not have any strings attached, but two really fun offenses will make up for it, and what should be a really really entertaining nightcap. Uh, should you want to divert your eyes from the putrid display, no doubt um, that Iowa-Michigan will be. Uh, I have been going back and forth on who I think is going to um, emerge victorious in this one, but I'm going to roll Wake. I've really liked them all season. I think that. Pitt and Kenny Pickett is a really fun story, uh, but I think this game's going to be close. I think that Wake is going to win this one, but barely. I'm going Wake Forest by one and a shootout, 41-40.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a heck of an offensive battle. I think Pitt does win this one here. That's where we differ. Uh, we'll, I'll stick with the favorite. And then the final conference championship game that we'll be picking here on Scarlet Fever, Michigan and Iowa, the Big Ten Championship at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. Michigan, an 11-point favorite.
1: Yeah, um, the only reason Iowa might cover this is because they keep the game low-scoring enough, too, um, and I think this this has the potential to get really, really ugly. I could see this being a huge letdown spot for Michigan, especially after that big, thrilling win over Ohio, Ohio State. The clock's going to be running a lot in this one. We're going to see a lot of the ball being run. Um, I'm going to just say Michigan 24, Iowa 9. <laughs> That spread's weird because Iowa could easily keep it within the number by just kicking a bunch of field goals, but I'm going to go 24-9 Michigan.
0: Yeah, two really, really interesting teams here uh, for different reasons. Uh, for Michigan, two really important keys. Don't turn the ball over. Give the ball to Hassan Haskins. They do those two things. They'll win this one. I think they do. I don't know if they covered that 11-point number, but I think Michigan wins it. So that'll do it for us on a slightly longer Uh, return episode of Scarlet Fever. We talked Adrian Martinez in the transfer portal. We hit on the coaching decisions, the coaching carousel, and Nebraska basketball, both men's and women's. It has been a crazy week in college athletics and now as we head into the winter break, it's been a great first half season, a semester of Scarlet Fever with you for the final time before the winter break for Landon Word. I'm Grant Hansen, You've been listening to Scarlet Feet.